Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Not All Men Improv. Joining us this week we have a very special guest. I always feel like we have improv royalty on the podcast with us today. She's just quite incredible. I'll introduce the rest of the, the panel. We have Georgina. Hello. We have Victoria. Hello. And we have Lauren. Hello. But our guest this week is Louise Woods, all the way from LA in America. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, thank you for coming on to our tiny little podcast with all of your amazing experience. I just can't wait to start asking you questions. So for those that don't know, uh, Louise currently attends the Groundling School in LA. Former alumni include Melissa McCarthy, Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig, and Lisa Kudrow. So, you know, just a couple of, like, amazing celebrity comedians. She also runs the Wretched Hive Improv Group, which I'm really excited to talk to you more about. Wretched Hive is a Star Wars-themed improv group, which does both short and long-form comedy. I just wanted to kind of first cover a little bit more about your background and how you initially got into improv comedy, because I watched your interview with David Escobedo on the Improv Boost today, so and you mentioned that Tina Fey's book Bossy Pants was kind of Mm -hmm. your inspiration for wanting to get into comedy so what exactly about Tina Fey's experience kind of made you think oh my god yes improv is the career for me. She had a section that was about like improv and life and how it can like just help your life in general and so I was just like that sounds really good and then uh, I worked at the time in um, film distribution international film distribution which I worked there for years however I wanted to change more towards getting into creative things and I knew that if I wanted to get more into writing then I would need to get some sort of performance background because that seems to be the background that you know most professionals have so I signed up for improv classes. Wow but you auditioned to get into the Groundling School didn't you? Yes they do have an audition process Um, it's free it's just a a one-day thing Um, I think they're doing them remotely right now I don't know for sure but I think they are they're having um remote classes right now which I mean anybody could take so that opens up the opportunities for people to get access to that program yeah wow that's incredible everyone's having to adjust at the moment aren't they yeah oh yeah I'll we'll definitely probably get into that as far as leading a improv team what's the audition process like um it's it's much like just doing um, an improv, doing improv games, doing a couple scenes. Uh, it's really pretty simple. It, I think, at least from my understanding, that what they're looking for is, you know, they want people who feel comfortable and confident enough performing that they're going to get something out of the class. They do have classes that are below the um, audition level that that anybody can take, but they really want to make sure that like the people who are in the cl- the higher up classes are getting out of it what they want. You know what I mean? So that audition just kind of creates a little like okay, you need to be able to like do these certain simple things, and they they have that for every level, so that that way you you can't really progress in the school unless you can do certain skills for each level. That makes sense. I was gonna ask. I was going to ask what your experience at Groundlings was like, but you're still there. So how has your experience at Groundlings been? What has your experience been so far? Um, It's been kind of all over the place because I started my improv journey there. Like I did a little bit of improv in high school, but I really started my journey there and it's not really a school for beginners. (laughs) So it was a little bit like go forward and then 
no, okay, go back and take classes at another school and get better. And now, now, right now I was like, right when, before everything started, I was in the advanced improv class and I was like, felt like I was really ready and ready to like, you know, go to that next level. And then all this happened. So that's kind of put a damper on things. But yeah, I, I know the school is interested in, in implementing some changes, um, which I, I fully support as far as like making sure that there's like support for students that are, um, you know, not white dudes. Yeah. <laughs> because as you go through the program, it's kind of like there's a lot more women in the early classes. And then as you get higher up, it's like less and less. And then I know one time I went and saw the Sunday company and it was like so many white dudes, you know, like yeah. I couldn't even tell them apart. Like <laughs> <laughs> same hair, same t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those changes. Yeah. That's definitely the step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So on, on your interview, again, kind of going off from that, you said it was quite an, a competitive environment. What impact did that have on you as a performer? Did that make you kind of more like willing to push yourself in certain situations? Was it a positive experience to be with so many presumably talented and creative performers? Um, I think for me, it was more of a challenge and it made me grow, but not necessarily in a way I really think I needed to. Particularly, I had one teacher who just created such a competitive environment that, like, nobody was laughing at each other's jokes, which I don't really think, you know, that's not really fostering, like, a safe place where people can, like, experiment and take big risks. So I think for me, that definitely didn't help. And if anything, that actually hurt like my performances a bit because then you know the way that the te that teacher taught who no longer works there it was very like you're constantly second guessing yourself on is this what the teacher wants just because the feedback would be harsh or nothing. I remember one time I did something that was good, like I knew it was good and exactly what they had wanted. And the only positive feedback I got was, hmm, okay. However, there are definitely, it definitely depends on the teachers you get because um, like I said, that teacher created like a totally negative environment in the classroom. But I've also had teachers who created a super fun, silly, like you weren't even thinking about the competitiveness of it because you're too busy playing and making big characters and I'm still really good friends with a lot of the people that I had in those classes and so I think I think that like I said some of the changes that they're going to make are going to address some of those issues where it's like having that competitive environment like it's it's not really beneficial to the performers like I know some people thrive in that kind of environment but I would say that those are the people who are not already pushing for space just to be heard yeah white dudes yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would just go and hide in my shelf okay yeah. I can't exactly. say anything now exactly and you know when you're already dealing with with the pushback from other students just because they don't understand maybe your references, your point of view, but then to also be dealing with the competitiveness, it's, it's not beneficial. It really depends on the teacher. I don't really understand how fostering a really competitive atmosphere can be beneficial with improv because it's such a collaborative thing. You have to work with people to, to, make a, to make a scene, to make something work. And if it sometimes happens, the way the power dynamic is set up, someone that you're, you see as like prime competition, you're actually meant to be working with to build a scene, then there's going to be this kind of conflict in someone's head about how much they want to help someone they're performing with. And so it just seems like it would instantly compromise everything. Yeah, and it's something that the teachers have talked to us in class about and say, you know, they don't intend for it to have that 
competitive environment. It's just that the way the school is set up, there's only so many spots. There's only at any time so many people that are groundlings. There's only so many slots that can be for the Sunday company. I think they did add more classes because for a while there was like a two-year wait list to do some of the classes just because there were so many people trying to get there. Um, so I don't, they're not, they're not intending to have that competitive environment. I think it's just the exclusivity of it and the pressure really makes some students feel, you know, get more competitive. And I think one of the challenges I've had is trying to let that go, trying to not engage in that and learning how to kind of create a little bubble around myself of supportive people and supportive teachers who I trust and learning, you know, how to kind of like let their competitive stuff go because it's not going to serve me. It's not going to serve them. And I think one thing I mentioned in my interview with David is that you really have to be willing to let it go. You have to have the mindset that you might not advance. I might not make it to that next level and that's okay. And the problem is people are so, they want to get to Sunday company, the closer they get, the weirder they get because they're like, it's so close, they can taste it. And that becomes the focus rather than the here and now of here's a person in a scene that I need to perform with, which is mm-hmm. really where our focus and attention should be in any improv scene, no matter where you are. Yeah. That's so true. I was going to ask what your advice would be for anybody considering a career in improv comedy. Would you recommend going to like, I don't know if we have any improv schools in the UK, but would you recommend attending one in America? I think that having a, a career in improv is a challenge. And I mean, I've never made money off of improv, so... <laughs> I would definitely say it's a fun hobby. And um, if you have the ability to take schools uh, internationally, then uh, sure, especially like right now with everything being closed down, it's a great opportunity. If you have the resources, then um, yeah, it's a great to get different points of view and different perspectives on improv. I think the more points of view that you can get, the better, because there are so many different styles. I had a conversation with uh, an actor who I had a class with who is a pretty successful actor. And he was like, he was he was having challenges with the growling style specifically because it is very specific to their school. It's character driven. It's that's their main focus. That's what they do. And then they put that into sketch. So that's where their improv comes from. That's where it's pointing towards. They do have one long form charm, long form show, but in general, it's short form. And so he was kind of having struggles being like, aren't there so many ways that you can do this? I mean, it's art. And I was like, yeah, there are. And one of the things that the teachers tell you is that like, you know, just because one school is not right for you doesn't mean another school is not going to be right for you. And it's really just about if improv is a garden, you need to, you know, till the soil, do all of that stuff. And then what flowers will grow there? depend on all a bunch of factors you know what I mean like the soil composition all of that stuff you have to find where your seeds will grow you know what I mean like where what's what's the right place for you rather than um necessarily well this was right for that person so therefore it must be right for me and I think that's a big thing that I learned at that school that you know the teachers don't always work for you and, and that's okay yeah I love that analogy saying that do you think it's better to just not better but as equally beneficial to go out and just try a couple of classes and maybe join a group and see what kind of improv might appeal to a person? Yes. I actually think that's a great way to start out. And in fact, I kind of wish I had done that because just getting that experience, getting some stage time before you 
you are investing in like the really expensive competitive classes, like seeing if improv is even right for you at all. Um, and I think doing improv at different places really helps because I think if I had my first experience in improv be just a one day class, I don't think I probably would have continued doing improv. Instead, I signed up for a longer class that had ups and downs and stuff. So try more different places. Uh, find a group of people that you like playing with and have fun with them because that's really the true heart of improv is that playfulness and just being in the now. I've heard that a couple of times about improv classes as well. People said, I signed up to a six-week class, so I, I'd, I'd paid for it. I couldn't back out after one. I wouldn't have gone back, but I didn't want to waste my money. And then they learned to love it mm-hmm. after the first day. You know? Yeah, that was definitely my experience, just because it was like, I, I'm committing to this. But I'm also one of those people where like, I, <laughs> I will push past the fear and the the like anxiety and stuff just because I have a lot of it and I need to do that otherwise I won't grow. Yeah. Uh, I have actually been to Manchester by the way. Oh. Mm-hmm. Back in uh, 2015 mm-hmm. I actually went right before I started my improv journey like it was like as soon as I got back I signed up for classes and I had had my audition Manchester before. vibe. <laughs> Did you like it? Oh yeah, I loved it. I loved it. If I could live there, I would. Because it's just, it's beautiful. It's like, just the way the air smells. And like, I, I felt like my skin was better. My hair was better. Like, Are you sure you went to Manchester? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that does not sound like the Manchester rider. It's all of the moisture in the air. Yeah, it's a lot. So I live, because I live in LA, it's a desert here. And it is so dry. Mm. So dry. And my heritage is British. And so I have skin and face for more humid environment than I currently live in. (laughs) No, it's, it's like I'm, I always have chapped lips like my lips are super chapped right now so oh, I mean yeah, yeah moisture is definitely a thing that Manchester has in bucket loads mm-hmm. it is it's currently really producing moisture right now yeah it's yeah. always <laughs> bloody raining um, I love the rain it didn't rain enough when I was there oh. the it's making up for it now said that. <laughs> <laughs> did any of the, the famous people aforementioned ever come back to like teach a class did you ever get to meet anyone like really famous like Melissa McCarthy or um, I haven't met any of them um, but they have done some like Q&A's or or those kind of things I I was gonna see there, there was an SNL panel that they were gonna have like a Q&A there but it got cancelled due to schedules but then they rescheduled it during quarantine and did it remotely which I think is available <sighs> online um, so if you wanted to watch that I think that's on I, I would check their YouTube channel or whatever I have had teachers who were maybe not you know the big movie stars but TV on TV you know and I've had classmates that were on TV so maybe you know not not Maya my, my Rudolph but I have had you know, people <laughs> that are on TV people that are on on pretty well-known Emmy-winning shows, so. Dastarded alumni. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one the one person there that I would love to see perform, if not take a class with, is uh, Jim Rash. Oh my god, yes. Jim Rash from Community. Yeah, and also an Academy Award winning writer. Yes! Which I'm yeah. just like, I want to take a class with you, but I don't I don't think he really teaches much. I, I, I He performs there sometimes and I've always wow. wanted to and just haven't it, it doesn't work out for my schedule, so. Who does he play in Community? I can't remember. I love Community. Plays the, the Dean. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> love him yes <laughs> sorry yes ridiculously i love that he's he's so queer and camp but he they never address his sexuality so it's just completely ambivalent and i just love that so much mm-hmm. i love from it. all the, the dalmatian stuff and all the dalmatians what that's what's that about <laughs> oh god 
Yeah, I can never remember people's real names. I only do because I'm I'm that kind of a nerd. I'm like <laughs> I'm a comedy nerd. So. <laughs> you mentioned in your your interview with David that some of your influences were some of the people that have attended Groundling School, like Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig, uh, Maya Rudolph. What what did you watch growing up? Was there anything that you watched that you you kind of thought I really want to do that? when I'm older is there any um, I mean SNL is a huge show here in the states sure. um, I know you guys don't you guys don't get it except for like clips maybe online right yeah 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 so here not everybody watches it but it's it's pretty well known and definitely in my house it was something that my family had jokes about that we as kids couldn't stay up to watch it but my parents watched it and then when I was in high school I watched it every single week like I remember like watching it and so you know I, I really just I thought it was hilarious I loved the jokes they made I loved like the weird characters and uh separately when I was in college I was getting more into writing and then it was kind of like later on that I was like well I tend to write from a character perspective I should probably go to a school that focuses on that because that's probably gonna be the best match for me of course not thinking about the fact that it was like a super advanced school so I'll say that but I also was always kind of like I relate a lot to a lot of Kristen Wiig's characters because they're very like goofy and weird and quirky and I'm also like that in real life so (laughs) (laughs) so we'll we'll move on to our topic section now we're going to discuss leading an improv group because Louise leads a a group called Wretched Hive Improv in LA Uh, G you had a question we've changed it to Wretched Hive Comedy oh okay Wretched Hive Comedy probably address as we go into this okay so G you had a, a question for Louise to start us off with oh yeah so um I have never done any kind of theme-based improv. So I was just wondering, I was just really curious about the kind of the opportunities that that brings, the challenges that that brings, or the kind of audience expectations that that might bring. Like, do you always reference Star Wars in every single bit of improv that you do? How restricted or how how is it? Um, I've personally, I think genre improv is so much fun because that's the way I played a lot as a kid you know for me it was always going on adventures um in Star Trek and and stuff like that or as I got older you know Harry Potter adventures and so I think for me personally like having having that extra layer is more freeing than anything else however at the core of it when you're performing any improv it should really you know you need to really ground it connect it with your scene partner and that the genre stuff is more the frosting on top you still want to focus on getting out who what where you still have to establish all of that stuff you still need to connect with your scene partner and have it be something happening now um and so when we're doing our our stuff for Wretched Hive, we don't necessarily start off our practice sessions doing specifically Star Wars improv. We just do improv and then as the night goes on, it becomes more and more Star Wars. Uh, When we're performing, we perform in the universe to the best of our ability. So that means we try to keep it in the universe, not referencing the movies if we can, but it's improv, so anything can happen in the moment, and that's all okay too. Did did I answer your question? Yes, very well, thank you. (laughs) I wanted to ask kind of why you decided on on Star Wars, because I noticed in your interview that you have like a a Doctor Who poster, so you're obviously a Whovian as well. There it is! So cool. What 
about Star Wars made you want to pick that as a theme for your group? Uh, well, I actually inherited this team. I was handed off this team. It was uh, David Escobedo, who was the one who interviewed me on the Improv Boost. He started this team long before I joined. Um, and then oh. it's kind of been passed on and been changed by everybody who's led it. Um, I'm the current leader um, and currently the one taking it into the whole COVID thing of trying to figure out how to make it be an online thing and so that's definitely been a challenge. I think one thing I the team and I have also discussed is that as we're going forward we might expand it from Star Wars to include more nerdy stuff because I like Doctor Who and I like Harry Potter and so do a lot of my teammates and I like Star Trek and I think a lot of people who watch our shows don't necessarily have one only one thing that they like and maybe to go back to the last question you don't want to necessarily focus too much on being referential because of the fact that not everybody who's watching is necessarily into that one particular thing on our team even we would have times where I would say like you know a, a joke from the movie that's like a line in the original trilogy that it was a family um it was a family joke for us so it was like um what an incredible smell you've discovered is <laughs> Han says to Leia when they're down in the garbage dump because that's was her idea to, to rescue them down there and no one else knew that line on the whole team and I was like what it's like it, <laughs> it's kind of Star Wars what are you talking about and like none of the guys knew it but then there was stuff that they know that I don't know. I don't necessarily know as much about the prequels just because I didn't enjoy them as much. Um, Very diplomatic, I must say. <laughs> you know, and I think one of the things that we've I've tried to embrace on the team and tried to encourage everybody else to embrace is that there are going to be different points of view about the different movies and that that's good. That's great. Bring that in because guess what? Our audience is going to have also this di those different points of view. You know, I have friends who come to my shows who they know the gold guy is annoying. <laughs> experience with Star Wars, they're like, I don't like the gold guy, and, but they love Baby Yoda. That that is one of my friends' entire experience with Star Wars. Like she's seen the movies because her ex boyfriend made her, but like that's about it. So I think she definitely was like, but she was like, I enjoyed the show anyway, just because it's silly. It's more just about being a the moment responding to what's happening now and being silly and then you know someone who is a star wars fan might be laughing at something slightly differently but that you know what i mean like there might just be a couple references that you know she doesn't get but that it was still a great show to watch and, and fun to watch so i suppose as an audience member you can enjoy it on so many different levels so there's something for everyone. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's one of the things we try to um, encourage while we're rehearsing is that it's not just about how many Star Wars references you can make in one second. It should still be entertaining. It should still be fun to watch. It should still be playful and all of those things that, you know, fun improv is. That's so cool. That's great. I love the name. I think the, the name is a really good example of how you you must layer the content to approach people because it sounds like a great phrase to someone who doesn't know Star Wars because it, it makes you think of a group of kind of misfits. Um, but if you do know Star Wars, then you know where it's about. And so it instantly conjures an image of a place that's a bit, that's interesting and, and quirky and is really kind of legendary in the, in the films. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was lucky to inherit it. I was like, this is great. <laughs> How long have you been running it for? Um, I've been running the team since fall of last year. Mm -hmm. So it's been a it's been a good time. We had um, a show at Acme Comedy Theater in North Hollywood that was once a month. 
we had an hour-long short-form show. I wanted to ask, because I've had a little bit of experience with it organising this podcast, but obviously there's a huge amount of work that goes into running a group, right? So how much time do you spend on it a week? How much time do you spend on promo, on organising the shows, on rehearsal, on communicating with the other? Like how much of your life does it take up? Um, it does take up a good amount of time. Uh, and one of the first things I did was delegate some stuff. So that way it wasn't just me and it was the team working together. Um, I also had the challenge that we went from being a, a bigger team to we lost a few players just because the commitment of doing the show in North Hollywood was, was a lot for some people. Like we went from being a team that was just an indie team that performed occasionally to suddenly we have a regular spot and that doesn't always agree with everybody's lifestyle and so I had the challenge of adding new players and reaching out to new people so it definitely does take up um, a non-zero amount of time right now we're kind of shifting things into remote and so it's taking up more time I feel like it's more time in the setup and then once things get going once you have the players once you have the format figured out and everything like that it takes up less time especially Especially because you can kind of put all your promotion stuff together at the at the beginning of the month and just have you know maybe one evening of of doing all the promotion stuff rather than having to do it every single week having to do all of that work every single week it's like you try to do it as tactically as possible yeah. um, I think for me a lot of the work is in the the social part of it because I don't mind doing organization stuff like that I'm kind of a nerd like that's fun to me like I'm like oh I have to figure out the organization of all of this um, <laughs> it's been a, a challenge like taking over a team that was mostly dudes and now I'm in charge and it's gonna be different because you know I get to put my own spin on things and I have to now like take over that leadership role I want to create an environment of accountability where I'm people can hold me accountable for things that I say or do because I think that that's one of the best ways to create a safe space for my players that they feel like they can approach me and address any concerns. Um, we haven't had any real issues, but I want to create that space before it's an issue. Yeah, particularly, I suppose, if you're welcoming new members that you might not know so well, it's really important, particularly at the moment, I think everyone's becoming more aware. Yes, um, and that was one of the things I, I really wanted to do was I wanted the team to not just be dudes. I mean, this team's never been um, all white guys. So it's never had that problem, but I, I definitely wanted to include more women on the team. And I'm very grateful that it just happened to work out that the people that I like playing with who like Star Wars are mostly women. Like I got, I got very lucky in that, in that sense. And so the team became mostly women and there's, there was only one dude on the team. And then we added, we added some more, some more guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I also run um, a practice group, or I used to run a practice group at the Groundlings. And so that was very much so like dealing with interpersonal things, because, you know, you have people who are like, okay, if this person's there, then I don't want to be there because I'm trying to do it to get extra practice because you don't necessarily get the stage time at Groundlings. And so I, we, me and my friends started this practice group, but we also wanted to mindfully create a space where people felt safe and comfortable space that was like a safe space 
space outside of the classes and the competitiveness, um, a more inclusive space. And so we very mindfully had that in as our intention. And so we had to have some difficult chats with people about why they're not in our group anymore, you know, why they're not in our practice group. And we would take turns, like it'd be like, I took the, took the last one, can you take this one? You know, but also yeah. even just setting those small boundaries of like, we need people to RSVP because we have to save the classroom space, we have to save the teacher's time. We need people to RSVP before like a certain time and having those conversations about just saying, you know, hey, we're really glad you came today. However, in the future, we need you to like RSVP. And I think it's really challenging to create those kind of boundaries and stuff as a fellow student and for something that they are paying to do, they're helping me out because it, it helps lower my coaching cost. Like we're splitting the cost, but it's also like, you know, running an indie team. I'm, I'm grateful to have these people on my team but I also have to, to a certain degree, hold them accountable. There has to be some balance to that. And I think that's a big challenge as a leader is keeping them motivated while also like there's still boundaries, there's still expectations, making sure the expectations are clear. Yeah, I think that's been the biggest thing, especially as things have changed is trying to keep the expectations clear of what I expect from my teammates just because, yeah, I try not to take too much of their time because some of them are still working, some of them aren't, but we also want to create something new, which is going to take a lot of work up front for me. It's so great that you've you've taken that leadership role within your community, but you're also providing a safe space for people, somewhere that's supportive for them in what I'm sure is a very kind of high pressure, stressful environment. That's fantastic. And I think the improv community definitely needs more uh, leadership roles for women. And it's fantastic that you're able to do that in your community. Well, the, the creating the practice group thing that wasn't even something that like was necessarily offered by anyone it was just something like it was our one of the teachers was like hey you guys know you can do this if you want to get more practice and we took the extra step to intentionally make it be more inclusive not invite people who we have seen playing in ways that we found to be disrespectful to other people like I mean there's there's people that we don't talk about it like I've, I've never said I'm saying this publicly now I'm like there's people that I've had classes with that are not invited specifically because they have played in ways that were outrageously racist and I don't know why the teacher didn't address it at the time but I don't have control over that what I do have control over is who's invited into my group and they are like nope nope especially because when people tried to address it to them they were just kind of like it's improv it's like no 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 that was so not okay no it's really not no yeah, so I, I try to have that where I have the control. I want to create a safe space for my friends so that way we can play and have fun and my friends feel supported. And that's the important thing. That sounds quite similar to how we formed our group as well. We started off as a university society. That's how lots of us got introduced to improv as a, a concept, I suppose. And I had a great time there. But sometimes it was difficult to have a turn. It was difficult to get a word in edgeways with some of the personalities. And so when we started this group, it was so nice that we'd all take it in turns. We'd, we'd get like constructive criticism from each other. And it really just helped us to develop because we felt like it was such a safe space. It's so important. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, definitely. Um, the one thing I would say about giving each other criticisms is I, I'm not really a fan of it. I personally think there should be a coach. It just kind of, in my opinion, it, it helps to create more of a camaraderie between the teammates so that that way there's no, nobody ever feels judged by anybody else on the team. And then you have that outside eye, you know what I mean? To help you, guide you, especially because there are so many experienced improv teachers available, um, especially online now. I mean, a lot of them are available. They have, they're able to coach remotely. And I definitely would suggest do what works for you. But, you know, if, if you have the opportunity and the can afford to hire a improv coach, that's pretty much the same as taking a class. If you get a, a an experienced improv coach to coach your team, even just one time as like a workshop, that's pretty much the same thing as taking a class because they're bringing you that experience and knowledge and in some ways it's actually more beneficial. We did have the experience we had a, a workshop run by David just before lockdown actually and I think having that him not knowing the group but coming in as an external person and then giving us different things to think about and different ways to approach things I think that was that was really useful because while we do work really well together as a group and we're all on the same page about a lot of things he made us think quite differently about how we've approached certain things and like one of the questions that he asked us was and this has come up quite a lot in the social media stuff that we've been doing lately was have we ever thought about you know talking about consent or kind of what each other's boundaries are which we we hadn't because we all know each other and we're all quite close but I feel like yeah as you were saying having that outside influence can often kind of make you think a bit differently about how you do things which is just really really useful Mm -hmm. particularly if you're welcoming new members in as well yes and talking about the boundaries and consent was something that we did first day when we had the new people it was just kind of like you know if you you don't need to touch anybody the first day that you meet somebody and in fact you shouldn't you know we do have some some games I mean right now it's not really an issue because we're doing everything remotely but improv can get very physical and I've had talks with my female classmates about like what their boundaries are and some of them have been very clear to me that they're like I trust you I trust that you'll do what's necessary for the scene and that you know you're not going to do anything that would be weird so they're like they kind of gave me permission to do whatever and so we ended up having a scene together where like she's sitting on my lap and we're like flirting very heavily but it was very fun and playful because we had that discussion previously where I think I imagine that there are a lot of female performers out there who've had maybe a scene or just a class with a guy who even maybe just stood too close and it felt uncomfortable and that it was just like, I don't trust you. I don't know what you're going to do. And it's like, they're already crossing that boundary and it's not serving the scene at all. So why are you doing it? That's not what's happening in the scene. So why is it happening on stage? <laughs> um, and I think that's a really important thing is that that trust. Like, I think you really have to build that trust. So I think definitely the first day you meet somebody, like you, you don't even need to touch them at all. There's no need. There's no yeah. need. And just because it's yes and, it can be yes and please don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to ask if you're working on any projects or, or doing anything uh, online in the current situation that you wanted to kind of promote and tell us about. Yes, actually, I'm super excited. I mentioned it earlier. Wretched Hive is changing from Wretched Hive Improv to Wretched Hive Comedy. And that's just so that that way we can kind of expand our horizons. We're looking to start a Twitch channel where we have we stream shows. We are 
also expanding to have a team in the UK, which David oh. will be running. Oh, um, cool. I'll still be running the LA team. And then we're also starting a team in Denver, which David and my mutual friend, um, AJ Orta, will be running in Denver. We're still in the pre-production phase. There's a lot of technical stuff that goes into doing this kind of a thing. So I have a lot of respect for you for getting all of this together because I'm trying <laughs> to do it now. And I'm like, oh gosh, I have to get a faster router. I have to get a camera. I have to get a little, I'm actually getting something shipped from the UK because it's sold out in the US. Plug my camera into my computer. And I'm like, thankfully it was on Amazon. So I didn't have to pay any extra, but it's just going to take another like two weeks. But I was like, it's not even going to be for sale in America until like August. So So, yeah, we're super excited about that. Um, I don't know if you saw, we did the 20 minute challenge that David had issued from uh, Mischief Managed. It was like 20 minutes to do the original Star Wars trilogy on um, <laughs> and so we did it with puppets with paper puppets and that was something really fun that we did. Oh amazing. Uh, That's so cool. Yeah and I it was super fun. We all enjoyed it and that was something that really inspired me to be like hey let's do something else remotely. Like if this is going to be here for a while then we need to adapt. We need to you know really get started and really think about how we're going to do things because it seems like this is not going to go away anytime soon especially <laughs> California's shutting down again. So uh, so yeah and I think one thing to keep in mind is that improv remotely is totally new. It's a new art form and there's going to be growing pains. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. And it's also going to be delightful and fun and silly and take big risks and keep putting stuff out there because pretty soon we're all going to get bored of Netflix. And <laughs> yep. if there's not new stuff being produced. <laughs> exactly. you know what I mean? And it's it's a new way of of taking in media so explore have fun like you you have to take those big risks to get big rewards and like you said it's it's a new art form it doesn't necessarily mean that once this virus has gone away that the art form will this could just be a new way of exploring live comedy or sketches or you know, I think it just opens a lot of doors. Yeah, one thing that I think is great about putting media online is that it actually makes it more accessible. Mm. Uh, I always yeah. appreciated David putting his streams of videos and stuff of live performances online because of the fact that like not everybody can go to a theater, not everybody can afford to, not everybody can physically is not physically able to you know go to a theater and sit there for the show. And so I think it really brings that accessibility to people both in the U.S. And and globally to have access to performance, live performance, which I think, you know, everybody should have access to that. And so one thing that we're hoping to do with creating our web thing is creating a community and a supportive community of people who just love silly Star Wars stuff. And like I said, more nerdy stuff and having that be a global, accessible, inclusive community. That's brilliant. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Guys who are listening, uh, please make sure you follow Wretched Hive Comedy on Facebook to, to to make sure you keep up with what they're doing. I'm really excited that there's going to be a, a UK group that David's going to run. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and I'm really excited to, to see what else you come up with in lockdown. Yeah, super excited. Thank you so much for having me. It's so wonderful to meet women creators around the world and especially in Manchester because I personally have connection to that city. And so I'm I'm just so glad to, to be able to meet some people doing awesome stuff there. Thank you so, so much. For, you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. To, to meet you and talk to you yeah thank you for having me cool right guys uh, that's the the end of the episode so we will catch you next time bye bye bye, bye.